from WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, it's a grain of sand. I'm your host and producer, Charles McGuigan, and this week's story is about an attempted home invasion and its aftermath. It's called Night Noises. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Everything can change just like that. That's what Jane says. But there is no snap of fingers. This is the preamble to a story she's retold a hundred times in person and on social media. The beginning of the story is always jarring, but it's the end that leaves people speechless. Jane has it all. She knows it, too. Not one member of her family has been struck down by COVID. She and her husband, Marty, still have work and are able to help their 10-year-old son navigate school during the pandemic. Their other four boys are grown and making their way in the world. Marty and Jane and their offspring have health. They have good fortune. They have love. The house she shares with her husband and youngest son is perfect for them. They had the house painted a couple weeks earlier, and Marty screened in the side porch and changed the deadbolt on the door off the porch so that it could be opened from the inside without a key. Marty's a contractor and knows those locks can save lives if there's a fire, for instance. You don't have to hunt for your key. Just twist the thumb turn. Early one morning when her story begins, Jane starts out of a deep sleep, eyes wide. She sits bolt upright in bed and stares at the door, which has opened just a crack, casting a triangle of light on the floor. A noise woke her, a metallic and hollow clatter, the sound of trash being tossed into an empty dumpster. But the noise is an echo of a memory now. All she hears is Marty snoring and a steady rain pelting the roof. When the fog of sleep clears, Jane considers the pile of aluminum flatters stacked alongside the house. The painters hadn't removed the ladders yet, so they might have fallen. That would explain the noise. She wonders if someone tried to steal the ladders, so she rises from bed and moves toward the window. She can see nothing along the side of the house except the wet, dark night. But above the sound of the rain and her husband snoring, she hears something else. I heard the metal. I thought, somebody's taking the ladders. So I looked out the window. I saw nothing. But I heard somebody talking out here. That's Jane talking. We're sitting on the side porch of the house she shares with her husband, Marty, and their youngest son. Marty brings each of us a tall Bloody Mary, which we nursed through the late afternoon interview. On the pre-dawn morning we've been talking about, Jane checked her cell phone. It was 4.45. It's early, early in the morning. But I go to work that early sometimes, so I wasn't completely freaked out by that yet. I was like, okay, what is that? I'll just get up and let the dog out to go to the bathroom. So I started walking down the stairs, and as I started walking down the stairs, I really heard the voices getting louder. Jane gestures toward the door right next to me that leads from the enclosed porch we're sitting on into her home. And then all of a sudden, the store right here, someone's kicking it in or punching it in really, really loud all of a sudden. Just bam, 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 bam. The family dog, who's resting his large head in my lap as we talk, responded that morning to those other noises that were much louder than the voices. This one that you're petting right now, the dog, came running down the stairs and went insane. Went insane at the person that was at the door. Like, I've never heard him before. What was his name? Flash. Flash went crazy. And Flash is a what? He's a, he's a 150-pound mastiff. He's a big dog. He's a sweet dog. <laughs> he was doing his but, job. But he was doing his job. He like a good boy. Him. He was definitely protecting He was doing his job. And there was somebody yelling at the door, pounding on the door. Jane could sense the rage boiling in Flash's gut. 
and the rumble of his will as he growled and lunged toward the door, and a lone man standing on the other side of fifteen panes of eighth-inch-thick glass. Jane's mind immediately went to one of the darkest places in Richmond's recent history. It happened on a New Year's Day, fifteen years ago, when two young girls and their parents were murdered by home invaders. Jane thought of her son still asleep in his bedroom. In my mind, I heard voices, I heard them talking before, so it se- and there was glass breaking, it seemed like from every direction, in my mind, so I just, in my mind, went to that dark place of the Harveys, and there's multiple people coming in my house right now to kill my family. You know, that's where I went in my brain. I All the commotion, all that noise, woke Jane's husband from a deep sleep. And as she flew up the stairs, Marty vaulted down them. Marty then woke up, and I'm like, somebody's coming in. He jumped out of bed, ran down here. When he started yelling at the person coming in that was trying to get in the door, and the glass started breaking, and Marty's yelling, I got a gun, I'm going to, you know, get the out of here. When he was yelling, get out of here, I've got a gun, which, of course, we did not have a gun, unfortunately. But when he started yelling, the dog knows if Marty yells, you better get out. So the dog then ran upstairs and hid in our bedroom. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, now we know. You're not a good protector. But um, so while that was all happening, the glass continued to break. And he's looking for something to protect us with and yelling and screaming. And I instantly started running back upstairs to check on our child. Marty took his position behind a couch. There was someone outside kicking the door and hammering at it with his fists. When I woke up, it was from Flash barking so loud at the door, and then Jane saying, someone's here. Of course, I'm just in my underwear at that time. And I see someone at the back door kicking it. You know, my first thing was like, well, who's at the door? You know, does he have a gun? Does What is he going to, you know, I'm standing back there. Hey, get out of here, you know. So first thing I did was I ran back upstairs. I grabbed a crossbow and an old antique sword that I have. We didn't have bullets for it, though. Uh, <laughs> Eli, Eli, Eli has the bullets. But, I mean... So that I, doesn't really do you a lot of good. No, but I, I figured pointing a gun at someone would yeah. make detour them from wanting to come in. Because once I realized that he didn't have a gun, I was able to get closer and point, I mean, literally from me to you, away, crossbow pointing right at his face... And he's just, I'm coming in, I'm not backing off, I'm coming in. As the intruder continued to try and force entry, Marty got a fairly close look at him. Has you done a physical ID on him yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew he was a a male, about my height. So 6'4", 6'3", 6'4"? He was probably probably 6 foot. He was probably a little bit shorter than me. He was stocky. He had no shirt on. He was just bare shirt, tattoos. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he was not a little guy either. No, he wasn't a little guy. You're not a little guy. No, no. I'm 6'2", 230. You're 6'2", 230, and you're muscular. Yeah. He's the Russian kickboxer. That's what Brooke used to call him at Shannon's restaurant. He's the Russian kickboxer. Yeah. Suddenly, the intruder altered his tactics for entry, and Marty instantly changed his choice of weapons. He lowered the crossbow and picked up the sword, a scimitar. It was a Quentin Tarantino moment as he drew the sword from its sheath. Fist starters come through the thing, so I decided to take the sword out of the sheath instead of using the crossbow, because that was really going to be my only defense if he came in the house. Remember earlier in the story where Marty had changed the deadbolt lock on that same door? 
something he had done for the safety of his family. Now, though, it didn't seem like such a good idea. He, at first, he was trying to reach in, and he was filling for the deadbolt, which at that time I had just changed to right. a flip one to make it so we could get out. Right. So every time he tried to stick his hand through there, I was just hitting him with my sword. With a blade. With a blade. Each time Marty slashed one hand, it retreated, but then the other hand would enter. When Marty sliced into that one, it pulled back, only to be replaced by the other hand. It was like that arcade game, Whack-A-Mole. But there was blood everywhere. And in the pre-dawn light, it didn't look red. It was dark blue, almost black. Now there's blood everywhere. Yeah, there was blood all over the place. Like, I mean, he was like spewing. Yeah. Yeah. So every time he tries to get it, and then it would make his hand go back out, which I knew as long as she can get a hold of the police and they were going to get here, he would not have came in our house. I mean, he wouldn't have came in our house because I know once he came in, I was really going to hit him with the sword. And it's very sharp. I mean, to where I've nicked myself and I have a scar to this day. From just barely nicking that sword. And so you could literally have done him down. Yeah, literally I could have cut his hand off if he would have stuck it. But this was enough where you're slicing him up, he's pulling out, but he keeps coming back. But he keeps coming back. So at that point, did you have a feeling that he was like drugged to the I had a feeling at that point he was drugged out. So I knew that I didn't, you know, I was not going to try to cause him bodily harm. I just wanted the cops to get there to arrest him. I knew he was on something. As this was going on downstairs, Jane was upstairs in her son's room to protect him and to call the police. I was now upstairs in his his room, crazily looking for the key, as we all have in these old houses. We have, I don't know about in your house, we have these little, yeah, which we only use time to time, and I haven't needed to use in their room in years. Right. Which, this room used to be Max and Ben's room Mm -hmm. years ago. When they were little, they shared that room. And I'm sure I took the key from them at some point because they were locking me out. (laughs) So I couldn't find the key. And so I'm like panicking, freaking out, calling 911. 911 wasn't connecting. And, you know, reaching over the door, looking for the key, looking for the key. Like my heart. Eventually, Jane got through to a dispatcher while everything around her whirled in chaos. She kept her head, though, and focused on protecting her son. So, like, finally got 911 on the call while I'm, you know, trying to push against the door as best I could. Because at the same time, I heard people running up the stairs, which I didn't know at the time was Marty running upstairs to get something to protect us with. So, at the time, I didn't know what he was fighting with, what. He's yelling, get the gun. I'm yelling, I've got the gun. You know, I've got a gun. You know, I've got a gun. I'm coming. The police are on the way. I've got a gun. Which, of course, I didn't have a gun, unfortunately. And and fortunately. And continued yelling and screaming with the police, telling them they're in my house. And they're in my house. They're breaking windows. And at this point, was up and just laying in bed like the you know terrified so you, so you did finally reach the police dispatcher yes and, and they were telling them that. and i'm telling them that they're I mean, in the house what's their uh, we're on the way what i was screaming my address yelling the, the address over and over and over again hurry hurry there's people in the house hurry hurry my husband's downstairs fighting these people in the house you know there's glass breaking the whole time the glass was just breaking it I never mean, stopped there's this door right here Time seemed to slow to almost a standstill. It seemed an eternity passed before the police arrived, but it was really just a few minutes. How many minutes would you say? I looked at my phone. I looked at my phone when it was all over later that day, and I was on the phone with 911 for five minutes. That's a long time. You know, it's also a quick response, but it was that's a long long, damn time to thank your, yeah. 
And I stayed on the phone with them until, I mean, until the, uh, I could hear him yelling the entire time at the guy to go away and that they don't live here because the guy kept yelling, um, I'm coming in, I'm coming in. I I thought it was multiple people um, and kept yelling people's names. And he, he kept saying, they're out here, get the hell out of here, you know. But I yelled the entire time and held the door closed and told my son it's going to be okay. The cops did arrive, and though they initially drew their guns on Marty, they ultimately arrested the suspect. Up until the bitter end, Marty, who figured the young man was on drugs, tried to get him to leave. One of the cops to get there to arrest him. I knew he was on something. He was not making sense. He was talking about his, the, the people that he was with who weren't even here, it was, which was really crazy. You know, finally the cops got here, and, you know, the whole time I kept telling them, the cops are on their way, you better get out of here trying to give him a chance to leave. He was not doing it, but once that those blue lights showed up, coming down, all he did was walk to this side of this porch, put his hands on the rail, and sat there and stared at the lights. At that point, he just didn't do anything. He just was staring at the lights. So I ran out the front door, met the cops pointing their guns at me, of course, saying, hey, he's on my side porch. And they're like, where, where, where? So I'm, you know, walking towards our side porch right there. He's right there, so they literally pulled their guns out At this point in the interview, Jane rises from the glider she and her husband are sitting on. She turns toward the window and stretches her arms out. He was like this, because there was a big bloody handprint here and a big bloody handprint here. He was standing right there? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just looking at the the cop lights. And then there was blood all over where you were sitting. Since the would-be intruder first began his assault in the home, the couple's son was sequestered in his bedroom upstairs. I told him to stay upstairs, and then I just wanted to make sure the house was secure. There was no one in here, and um, he didn't have to see too much, even though he just lived through all of that. So, the, And he didn't want to come downstairs for a little while, and then finally we talked him into coming down sitting on the couch because I wanted him to be near us. And oh, then God. he came down and sat on the couch, and there was glass all the way across the room. I mean, he when he was smashing those windows, it wasn't just a small brick. I mean, there was glass all the way across the Seriously. other side of the room. So then he came down and uh, he was up. While the intruder was being processed, Jane had gotten a good look at him. So your reaction when you actually see him? Yeah, I wanted to kill him. You have a visual now. Yeah. It took the police a good hour and a half to process the intruder. Later in the day, Jane and Marty swept up the glass and wiped down the floors and molding and walls with bleach and water, scrubbing away the blood, which had begun to congeal. They also sponged away the pair of bloody handprints the intruder had left on the backrest of the glider on the side porch. The water in the bucket was tomato red. Then Marty and Jane did something they never expected to do. I never thought in a million years I'd lived here 23 years, you know, raised four boys here, and lived here without Marty's protection right. for a long time, too, as a single person. Right. Yeah, a single remember. mom for, with three little, little, when they were little, little, you know. I remember. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah when our little, kids were at Holton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so we got a gun that day, of course. But within a week, something would happen that would change everything. Something neither Jane nor Marty could have seen coming. Certainly nothing they expected. That concludes part one of Night Noises. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
We're back with the conclusion of Night Noises. Since the incident of the intruder, Jane could not sleep. Not a wink. It went on for days. Just didn't sleep. Walked around the house like... I wouldn't go downstairs because I was terrified to go downstairs, which normally I would come downstairs, get a glass of water, walk, let the dog out in the middle of the night. No, anymore. I was just walking in my room, in our room, from window to window, every noise jumping, you know, terrified. Say, did you hear that? Wake up. Did you hear that? Go downstairs and check. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. Through those sleepless days and nights, Jane and Marty talked about that night of terror. It was their way of getting through it. They also talked with their son. Throughout the entire week, even starting with the day after it happened, talking to about this incident, just trying to get through it ourselves, Mm -hmm. we've been talking the whole time about how this kid is a human being, this person, child. You were talking about this even as you were traumatized. Yes. Yes. And in my way of getting my son to be able to sleep better at night, every day was reminding him that this guy that broke into our house that we pretty sure was completely out of it on drugs is somebody's child that's somebody's kid he's also somebody's grandchild somebody's brother somebody's uncle maybe somebody's dad he's 24 you know or 23 between themselves marty and jane remembered what they had done as young people and what their own sons might have done even in their anguish they were being moved to compassion we were trying to humanize him you know make him human i mean i've I've taken acid. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm 50 years old now. But when I was his age and in high school, I didn't do a ton of drugs, but I've experimented. And I took acid. This is what he said he was on was acid. It wasn't some hard. It was not some hard drug. It was hallucinogenics, which normally most of us will just like watch the trees breathe. You know, yeah, you're still thinking of throwing the book at him. Yes, still thinking of throwing a book at him, but also as the week goes on, we had seen him more and more as, you know, he could be one of our five boys who any of them might have, could have, you know, could get in trouble someday, might have gotten in trouble, who knows? I mean, we're, no, we're not angels. Everyone has their thing. And if they haven't done something, they know somebody or related to somebody that's made us some, done something. Or they're lying, stupid. exactly. Or or most lying. of them are lying. Or they didn't get caught. You're kind of like going between being sympathetic to this person to wanting to have them spend a couple of, a couple of good years in prison. You know, yeah, sure. You go back. It's like a roller coaster all day, every Absolutely. day. Eight days after the intruders smashed their windows, along with their sense of security, Jane and Marty, at nine on a Monday morning, found themselves in a courtroom. The second he walked in, we knew it was him. He had a, he had a very distinct hairstyle. Mm-hmm. So he came in, but he came in um, with his mother, with a, with a lady my age that I just assumed was his mom. We saw them come in. We were ready to throw the book at them. Then a small act they witnessed changed their hearts. Marty and I were sitting next to each other like this, and they came in into the courtroom in front of us, and we watched her touch him, you know, just kind of, you, you just like a mom, like a mom that loves her son touches her child. And we both were just like, oh, my God. And he actually said to me, I feel really bad now. Oh, my God, I feel really bad. The Commonwealth's attorney, the prosecutor in the case, approached Jane and Marty and said, 
okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I just want y'all to know. We plan to... Make sure that he does jail time. Yeah. You know, that he gets prosecuted to the full extent of the law and that they they have made it very clear that they're going to, they will not accept anything except for jail time for him. Jane and Marty looked at one another and then over to the prosecutor. Jane said this. Just before we go that far, just tell me one thing. What does he say about it? Has he said, has he shown any remorse? What does he say happened? To which the prosecutor said, Okay, hold on. He actually has written y'all a letter, would like to speak to you in person, would like to apologize to you in person if it's possible. Marty and Jane nodded and said yes in unison, then followed the prosecuting attorney out of the courtroom and confronted the young man who had terrorized their family. They also met with his mother. Both Jane and Marty did things neither of them would have expected just a few minutes before. And we just held hands and walked out there, and he looked at us terrified. And his mom, he and his mom were standing next to each other, looking mortified, terrified, seeing the people that that he did this to. His mom crying. He's looking like he's going to cry. And Marty walked right up to him and shook his hand. And he reached his hand out and they shook hands and just looked at each other. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did to your family. And then I shook his hand and I looked at his mom and then his mom and I just... I don't even hug my own kids during COVID. <laughs> if they don't live in the house, we just hugged and cried crying. and cried and cried. Crying on each other's shoulder. <laughs> yeah. We hugged and cried and cried and cried. I rubbed her back and told her, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. She was- and she was just saying how sorry she was. And she was just sobbed. We both just sobbed, you know. And then we all kind of calmed down for a minute. And then um, he stood there and talked to us for a long time and apologized to us. Marty ended up getting the backstory about what really happened that night. He said that he was having a bad acid trip. He was with two friends that night. They left him. He thought it was their house. And we were that when he came to the door, we were trying to hide his friends inside of our house and not let him in. He's from Minnesota. He's not even from the state. He, does, he was just here visiting for like two nights. His friends are, one of them was from here. Then his two friends left him, and he decided he didn't know what he was doing and yeah. not where or where he was at. Where were the two friends? They left him, and it's on a ring video. They left him when he started taking it to the next level. Was They're there? on the corner of MacArthur, MacArthur and, and Nottaway on the gray house up on the up. That's kind of up a yeah. little bit. He's on the porch trying to push the door open, and you can see very clearly and hear his two friends standing down in the intersection saying. Get down here. Cut it out. We're leaving you. What's wrong with you? Get down. You know, calling him off of there. They they were all being stupid, and you see them on other ring videos going around being stupid. And what are they just trying to Grabbing people's, like, flags off their porch and just being stupid. What kids do. Yeah, being stupid. Yes. Being stupid. And then he just took it to the next level. Yeah. Having and a I bad trip. I think that he was just so... They drugged out. Yeah, they were like, we're leaving you because you're obviously about to get into oh some big trouble. Yeah. So his, his mission from there on out was to find his friends and to get back in the house. And it was pouring down he, rain. It was cold out. He had no shirt on. Well, he said his the, friends live houses. in a house yeah. similar to this. Jane and Marty met with the prosecutor before sentencing. We told the prosecuting attorney that we would rather him not go to jail, get on a plane with his mom today, and leave and go back to Minnesota yeah. and have a good life. and have a good life. Yeah, and maybe get a chance to get it 
together and uh, that we forgive him. And hopefully we can all just move on. Yeah. But the young man was not going to get off scot-free. They did tell us as we're leaving that they still had to charge him. They took off the charge, which was unlawful entry, which is the one that we dropped. That was our decision. The Commonwealth of Virginia still had to charge him. He got 90 days of jail suspended. Yeah, he doesn't have to serve them unless he gets into any kind of trouble. He jaywalks and he's in jail. Before they left the courthouse, Marty and Jane were again approached by the lawyers, along with the mother and son from Minnesota. Marty and I were waiting for the elevator. They came back to us again with the lawyers and an envelope of money. And he said, uh, I want you to have this money to pay for any damages. And handed us an envelope with $700. And we talked for a few more minutes. And then I said, I don't feel comfortable taking your money. Your mom just came all the way here from Minnesota during COVID. I'm sure times are hard for everybody right now, right. you know. I said, please take this money back. I don't feel comfortable. And the lawyers and everybody, they said, you have to take it. So we took it as considered um, restitution. One of the last things the mother told Jane was that she wanted to stay in touch. But Jane didn't really expect to hear from her again. Yeah, so his mom actually emailed me the other day. Did she really? Yeah. I didn't think she would. I didn't email her or anything, you know, because I was like, okay, let's just heal. Let's everybody heal. So what did she say in her email? Um, she just wanted to check in and see how we're doing and see how this is doing and let us know how sorry she was for everything and yeah. how her son's actions had affected our lives and let's stay in touch. And uh, if she understands if I don't write her back, but of course I wrote her back and then she wrote me back again. And she wants <laughs> us to come out there and when COVID's over and let her show us around Minnesota and have a barbecue. (laughs) And I said, you know what? Someday we'll do that. Someday we will do that. Why not? Because, you know, I could see us being friends in real life. Honestly, it's so freaking crazy. What do y'all take away from it all? It's hard to say what we take away from it. We believe in second chances. And I know I have people in my life that have been in really hard places right. at that age and have been in the system at that age and have really turned their lives around. We know firsthand that it is possible to have your, you know, to change your life and that people given a chance, most people will change. One night after the court date and the emails, when her son was down and Marty was asleep, Jane climbed in bed next to her husband and nestled against his back. And she, too, slept soundly. But early that morning, Jane stirred in her sleep. She wasn't sure what she heard, or even if it was a noise that woke her. She held her right hand to her chest and could feel her own heart and thought she could hear it, too. This is your host and producer, Charles McGuigan. A very special thanks to Jane and Marty for sharing their story. And of course, to Charles Arthur for supplying the music. Join me again next week for another Grain of Sand. To listen to more Grains of Sand, please visit prx.org. Thanks for listening, and take care.